Good morning. Are we on? It is good to see each of you here. It's a joy to be with you here in Elevate as we go through an exciting uh, discussion this morning on the classic book Steps to Christ. Kent, thank you for joining me up on stage. Thank you for having me. You survived your first year at Southwestern chaplaining, and you're here. This is a good testimony. This is yeah. great. Appreciate I love it. it. Yeah, we're still here. So. <laughs> I appreciate your ministry, and uh, it means so much to see you here and relaxing a little bit more maybe during the summer. Um, I don't get a chance to be in with you much uh, over in the children's department a whole lot, but I've watched some of our Steps to Christ discussions, and they've been intriguing and thought-provoking, and we're going to have some more great discussions today as we get into this classic book. Um, our starting point is we're in chapter six this week, uh, faith and acceptance. If you've been with us on this journey here in person or, or online, you've noticed that we've, we've talked about some pretty important topics as we worked our way through chapters one through five. Uh, we've discussed that God's love for man and his need for Christ. Uh, we've looked at repentance and confession, been a couple of weeks on that. What does that look like for the Christian? And then consecration last week, Pastor Reuben, I think, and uh, Buster let us in on that discussion. So today, this chapter, I don't know what you felt, Kent, but I feel like it is pretty significant. At first, I wasn't, I was like, faith and acceptance, okay, you know, but this chapter really, really is foundational to our day-to-day walk with Jesus as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. I actually was sort of amazed that this wasn't earlier in the book, Mm. Um, but I think she's just really reinforcing how sure our salvation is and just making it more simple than we make it. Right, right. And we'll talk about that in a minute, some ways that we perhaps make it more complicated than it should be. Um, but this is, this is foundational for, in, in a relational sense to God, to our relationship with God, uh, on how we approach Him, how we understand Him, and how we deal with those day-to-day things. We're going to throw out some questions here as we go along, and this is our catch box with the wonderful Elevate logo on it. Just a word or two. We, I think it, Pastor Michael used it a couple of weeks ago, and we want to do that again. Uh, we appreciate your participation today. It is much more exciting when it's not just us two up here uh, sharing. But basically, as, as he brings this around in a few minutes, if you have something to say, just raise your hand, or if you want to read a scripture that we throw out, we would really appreciate your help uh, in that. Uh, just keep it close to you, and, and as you pass it on, as you toss it to someone else, uh, the microphone does go off. Um, so our, our discussion today uh, leads us into uh, some day-to-day realities that um, I think we don't realize until we start analyzing them about faith and acceptance. Both of these words go together as we talk about accepting the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Uh, at least the second part, I found out something interesting this week, Kent, I don't know if you knew this, um, as I was researching the, this chapter in particular, the second half of it at least, uh, a good chunk of this chapter was written as part of a letter that Ellen White wrote uh, to a guy by the name of Charles Giles in 1889. He was struggling with the idea of how his emotions played into his faith. Uh, she encouraged him in another unpublished letter, uh, the first one, that he should not let his emotions sway what he does and how he relates to God. He should believe. And in this particular one, she tries to encourage him um, about the assurance of salvation. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, just think for a second, how many of you in your walk with Christ have ever felt like you weren't saved? 
Maybe you're showing up in pews. Maybe you're doing the rituals of, of Christianity, but you didn't feel that assurance of salvation. <laughs> We're not supposed to raise our hands. Is that what I get? All right. Um, let's, let's unpack a few theological terms because this one, um, this pack, this chapter is very theological in nature. Um, and it may work, may be worthy for us to, uh, explain a few terms. Uh, she believes in this chapter, she demonstrates as she talks about belief, a concept that is very common for many Protestant Christians called provenient grace. Basically, that just means grace that is coming to you before you even accept it. Uh, it's the grace demonstrated at the cross before you were even born. It's the grace uh, God, the parameters God gives you and sets in around you to protect you, to chase after you with his goodness before you even acknowledge him or fully accept him. That provenient grace is common for many Protestant understanding. And she talks about that, about uh, the Lord, in a sense, wooing us with his love and drawing us with his everlasting love before we were even born. So that's important to understand that this is not something that just starts the minute we pay attention to God. Grace came before that moment. Then there's a couple of other uh, theological terms that we'll throw up here on the screen. Um, Kent, do you want to unpack these, these terms for us? There's some terms that we hear that mean different things to different ones of us. Right. Uh, and these are justification and sanctification. Um, there's a slide that, that where she gets into these. She talks about harmony with God uh, and likeness to him, that there's nothing you can do to obtain these things. Um, unpack that for a minute for us, would you, Kent? So harmony with God. She also uses the word restoration. So restoration, I don't know if we totally get this, but the only purpose that God really has with us is restoring us. Restore, reconciliation, heal. Most people, even in our world over here, know the word shalom. And shalom doesn't just mean peace, but it means to become complete again to become whole again. So justification is just this process where God is making us whole again and reconciling us, removing those barriers. Um, And then with sanctification, where this is the one that we usually get in trouble with, where we become more like him, uh, we usually think that that's more in our efforts, but that's still a God thing. That's still a grace thing uh, where God is bringing us back. I don't know if you guys remember in the Ten Commandments. So in Exodus chapter 20, the first thing he says is, I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt, right? So he brought them out of Egypt, meaning he saved them. Mm-hmm. Nothing they did. It was all him. I saved them. And then the ten, the ten Commandments are, I brought you out and I don't want you to go back. If you don't want to go back to Egypt, you follow this. This is so you don't go back so that you don't go back to where you are slaves again and you don't treat other people as slaves because that's the spirit of Egypt. You are not property. You are made in the image of God. And so that is the idea of restoring mm-hmm. and keeping you there. Hmm. I love that analogy. That's easy to, to put a picture with because we, we seen those little felts when we were little kids in Sabbath school, perhaps, or the cartoons. And, and this, it's a reality for us as modern day Christians too. We are, we, we have been delivered. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so I, I, I want to stress that you mentioned something about this is not our actions. God is the one doing this whole process in us. 
Uh, we could go back as far as the chapter on, on just being aware of God, right? Our need for God. He brings us to that awareness, right? He calls us. He gives us the gift of repentance. So it's not something we do. I appreciate that emphasis so much. Um, our, if I could throw up one other quote here, um, she mentions about this is what we are really going for, this restoration you talk about, this healing. Uh, Ellen White says basically that, that this is the product of what we're searching for. She says, it is peace that you need, heaven's forgiveness and peace and love in the soul. Money cannot buy it. You may be aware that there was, what is it, Simon and Acts, the book of Acts, that tried to, oh, that sounds great. I want, what do I need to do to get that? Can I buy this? I want it. He was, he was wealthy and he wanted to buy this gift. He can't buy it. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain it. You can never hope by your own efforts to secure it. So we're chasing after peace, but we really can't obtain that peace. We can't uh, chase after it, investigate it, find it, discover it, and get it, obtain it on our own. So we understand now a little better, as, as we've debriefed here, this idea of salvation, this justification process, and then being sanctified, being restored into his image. So we want to throw out a question to you guys. If I mean, that seems pretty simple. It's, it's God doing it, right? Um, it, it, it takes a lot of the burden off of me. So why? Here's the question. I want you to think on this for a second. Raise your hand if you're willing to share some answers, possible answers to this. There's many right answers. There's no wrong answer. Let's just think for a minute. Why might it be so hard for some people to accept God's gift, his free gift of salvation? We're talking about acceptance today, faith and acceptance. Why is it so hard to accept God's gift? Any ideas out there? So he's got the box. You got to raise your hand. He cannot see it. Right over here. When Cain decided to uh, save himself in his own way, instead of God's uh, plan of salvation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that there's no shedding of blood. It's a, it become a propitiation that time. You know, and then now he decided to to offer, you know, a produce of his land. So in the church history, you know, we are, you know, you can buy salvation. Even the, 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 the and our culture dictates us also that nothing is free. You know, you come to America, you do it yourself. You know, nothing is free, comes free. Mm -hmm. And the girls kind of sum up with that girl also. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's easier, sometimes it's, it's easier to say, say than, than done. You know, it's sometimes hard to differentiate. Even Jesus on the cross, he know the Father saves him. He know the Father loves him. But sin separates us, you know, from, from God. Mm -hmm. So, and then we can, it's, we, experientially, we will, we feel that, you know, God loves us. But how does it look like? How does it feel, you know, in our, in our daily living? So that's when it becomes uh, tricky. But the reality is there, you know, the, the, the objective fact of salvation is that Christ, you know, um, died for us. But the subjective part of salvation just becomes uh, tricky for a lot of people. Thank you. That, you know, Thank that, you. Yeah. That, uh, you know, experientially how we feel about it, how we go about every day. Okay. But the reality is God, you know, offers salvation and it's there for everybody for the taking. Absolutely. Thank you. So it sounds like this problem is wired into our human nature, our fallen human nature, right? If it goes back as far as Cain, um, we can see evidence of that. 
So let's talk about the practical implications of this. We, we throw out some good solutions or, or good ideas, plausible ideas as to why we struggle with this. Why do we have a hard time accepting uh, the faith um, or the free gift of Jesus? So you have another idea on that. We were talking earlier about something based from a familiar uh, parable in the Bible. Can't tell us about that. So if you do have your Bibles, if you can go to Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew chapter 18 and I'm just going to read this one. I was going to have, it's a little bit longer, so I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to have somebody else read it. But if you go to Matthew 18, and if you guys remember Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18 is what we traditionally as Christians call sort of the discipline chapter. If you read it, it's about restoring. Because right before he, right before the discipline part, he says, hey, uh, there's 99 sheep left. There's one that leaves. Go get it. And then he talks about if we have an issue, I go to you. If it's not resolved, I take two or three. Right. If it's still not resolved, I take to the church, mm-hmm. all of that. And then it says, I treat you as a tax collector and a pagan, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean I kick you out. It means I have to rewin you to the gospel. Right. And then Peter says, well, then how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus answers, you know, you know, the famous, you know, it's not just seven times, it's 70 times seven. And he gives this parable. And I want you to think about this. It says, uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, this is verse 23, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed 10,000 talents. And I looked that up fairly recently, and I think it was something like $42 million was brought to him. Uh, if we'd say it in this day, since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. All right. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred of a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days worth of work. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant does that the same thing. He says, Be patient with me. And then in verse 30 he says, But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, let me ask you a question if you've read this before. Why do you think it's so urgent for him to get that hundred denarii? Does anybody have an opinion here? Why do you think it is so urgent? Remember, he, he just went through experience, $42 million. Now, a hundred days worth of work. I don't know what we want to say. Maybe a few thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand even, compared to forty-two million. Why? Does anybody have a thought? This is my opinion, since nobody's raising their hand. The only reason it is so urgent for him to get that money back is he said his promise was. I be patient with me and I will pay you back. He still thinks he has to pay back. He doesn't believe in the forgiveness of the master. 
And there are, there are Jewish rabbis that talk about this kind of thought, that if we haven't really learned about the, the true acceptance of forgiveness of God, we become harsh towards others. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know what it really means. Mm-hmm. It, it changes our whole life and our outlook. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, at times, still feel this way. I believe that God forgave me, but... Mm-hmm. Right. There's a catch. Yeah. There's, yeah. There, there's still that debt. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking earlier. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Now you got me started. Go ahead. No, it's great. Can't shut me up. Um, <laughs> we were talking about the assurance of salvation. And in my, when I deal with assurance of salvation with people, I think that we've really, where Adventists sometimes have a little bit of a hard time, is we've pushed so hard against once saved, always saved, mm-hmm. that we've gone the other direction. And so I usually do this kind of imagery, and I'm just going to do it with you for sake of time. Can I touch your yes, book? Yes. Okay, thank you. I, I know it's very precious. <laughs> if, if I said to you, Travis, mm-hmm. okay, imagine this is God saying, I'm offering salvation. Mm-hmm. What will you do? This is salvation. I want you to have it. What would you do? Sure, I'm going to take it. All right. That's the gift of salvation, right? Nothing. He has it. Now, Travis, I saw that you watch something online you shouldn't have. So, just yell it out to me. What happens to salvation? I agree. I heard it. What? Nothing. But we traditionally have not thought this. We want to yeah. give it back. And how do you get it back, Travis? Not watch something I shouldn't. Okay, and then you also have to do something. You have, have to, to ask again. You have to ask for forgiveness, and then now and then got you it. got it back. Oh, you did something wrong. You said something. Uh, you were driving, and one of your fingers went up because you got angry. <laughs> 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 that might have been Pastor Michael. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so what happens? What happens to his salvation? Do I keep it? I can keep it, yes. right? But we don't. We think God plays this game with us. Yeah. We think, even though it uses in the language of that we're the spirit of adoption, we are adopted as children, which I, even though there's sometimes I'd like to kick them out when they frustrate me, yeah. I don't disown my kids no. every mistake they make. Absolutely not. You know, this, what you're talking about, this, this, this burning desire within us to pay something back or to, uh, in a sense, earn our salvation, um, is so wired within some of us, um, uh, that it, it comes out in the least expected places. Um, in this chapter, Ellen White talk, talks about or hints at the prodigal son story, which we're all familiar with, right? This guy that has this horrible experience. He comes back to his father and yay, he rejoices. We, we talk about his repentant state and all this and he's reinstated, but, um, Tim Keller has an interesting uh, take on that. He implies that even in that good state, which we applaud the prodigal in when he comes back, that perhaps in that moment, because he asks, make me as one of your what? Servants. You're one of your hired servants. He doesn't even get it then. He doesn't understand the sonship that God is offering him and the free gift and that God wants to reinstate him as family, not as somebody who's earning their way into his favor. 
And so, man, that that's just huge and deep to, to wrap our minds around. I think it pervades so much of what we do. And perhaps more as Seventh-day Adventists. I want you to think about why that may be. But I want to throw up a quote here, our last quote uh, from this this passage when when um when talking about the character of God, listen to what she says. With the rich promises of the Bible before you, can you give place to doubt? Can you believe that when the poor sinner longs to return, longs to forsake his sins, the Lord sternly withholds him from coming to his feet in repentance? Can you believe that? Away with such thoughts, she says. Nothing. How much? nothing can hurt your own soul more than to entertain such a conception of our Heavenly Father. He gave himself in the person of Christ that all who would believe, who would might be saved and have eternal blessedness in the kingdom of glory. I should have heard an amen on that one. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Nothing can hurt us more than to entertain this idea that God is an exacting God and, and, and forcing us to, to, to repent to a certain level and to, and to get on our knees and grovel and, 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 and hold, withholding salvation. He rejoices when he comes back. John 6 says that he doesn't turn any sincere seeker away from him. So uh, we got to wrap things up here real quick. I just curious if, um, if we want to leave with, with this thought in our minds. So when we, we, we see the proper view of, the free gift of salvation and how God does his work in us to justify us, right? Like we've never sinned to restore us and then to make us like him. He's the one doing that. We, we've seen, we believe as, as Ellen White states in the, in the renewing power of the Holy spirit. Uh, and then that bearing fruit in our life, we become more like him. So what are some daily things that we can do to avoid buying into the lies about God that are out there? Is there anything daily that we might be able to regularly put into practice in our spiritual walk? I'm just looking for a couple of quick answers on this before we close. A couple of things that we could do to practically to to resist those lies. We know the enemy. Raise your hand if you got an idea. We know the enemy doesn't want us to see God for who he really is. He he hates it when we fully accept um, God's gift in faith. But what are some practical things we can do? Any ideas? Got a hand going up over here? Sure. Um, so definitely remind ourselves through scripture daily. Okay. Um, quick thing that comes to mind is Romans 8, 37 through 39. Mm-hmm. Paul goes through the whole thing. Absolutely nothing. Past, present, future, heaven above, earth below, anything that's ever existed. Basically everything, literally everything yes. cannot separate us from the love of God. That's right. And so repeating that daily, yes. no matter what we encounter, no matter who we meet, no matter what we do, repeating that to ourselves. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Mm. Just as a daily mantra would definitely help. Beautiful. So not even my ugliest sin can separate me from, from God. Beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful promise that we need to claim. Yes, another one right here real quick. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, I had the same thing as when I was nine years old and I did a sin. Oh, <laughs> immediately pray and start asking up for forgiveness. I think something that helps now that we're older, obviously we don't, every little thing we do, we stop in the middle of that action and we pray to God for forgiveness. But I think instead of praying for forgiveness, you start the prayer with a prayer of thankfulness because it makes you draw back on what God has done for you. So therefore what has happened already isn't going to affect you because his love is already declared for you. Mm, Beautiful, thank you. So important. Anything else? These are great answers. 
I want to suggest one uh, for, for me as I and, I, and I must say that I misunderstood God's character even into my life as a pastor, even in my adult life as a minister, I still had this false view of God that he was ready to wipe me out for my, for my imperfections. Um, and, and it is very, very harmful. And I think one thing that helped me was to, to think positively and affirm other people because when we, when we see the negative in other people and we critique them, uh, I've been told by psychologists that our brain, our psyche doesn't know whether we're talking about them or us. And so we begin to feel shame and guilt ourselves. And so if we live a life of positivity, affirming others, lifting them up, as scripture says, uh, then we will not dwell on our own perfections. We'll turn them over to Jesus and let him do his great work in us. Let's pause for a word of prayer, shall we? Gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for the free gift of salvation you offer each of us. Lord, sometimes it is hard to accept that. We see our own faults and imperfections. But my prayer is today, Lord, that each of us will realize the great extent, the height and the width and the depth of your great love. And that we will claim the promise that if we know Jesus, we have eternal life. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We find great comfort and hope in it, and we rejoice in that gift. Go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.